Welcome to Xanadu Gallery's Red Dot Podcast. I'm Jason Horsch, owner of Xanadu Gallery, publisher of Red Dot Blog, and your host for this podcast. This is episode seven, and it is a pleasure to be with you here again today. Uh, Today I'm going to try something a little different. Today I wanted to let listeners of the podcast and readers of Red Dot Blog Uh, kind of direct the conversation and ask me questions. And so I reached out via email to just a small portion of my mailing list for Red Dot Blog, and I requested questions. Well, um, to say that I received a lot of questions would be an understatement. And I only reached out to a very small portion of the mailing list. And so what I've realized is that uh, first, I'm probably not going to be able to get to all of of the questions that I received uh, today. I'm going to try and get to as many as I can. Uh, And even more, I also realized that uh, for me to eventually reach out to each and every one of the listeners and readers, uh, it's going to take me about 20 years. But hang in there with me and be patient, and I will get to as many of your questions as I can. Um, and I think a lot of the questions that I received today were, were great ones. Um, some of you asked kind of similar questions, so I'm combining a few of those and uh, just, just taking them as they came in. So with that, let's, uh, let's dive in and uh, get some some questions. The first question Uh, came to me from actually a local artist, Catherine Neubauer-Johns, who lives in uh, Phoenix, Arizona, so not too far from Scottsdale, metropolitan area here. And uh, Catherine actually asks three questions, and they're kind of broad, uh, almost universal kind of questions that I think a lot of artists have. And I'm just going to dive in and let her ask the question from her email. She says, My biggest challenge is how to approach a gallery owner and with what in hand. Should you just have a casual introduction and conversation on your first and set up an appointment? Or should you have a portfolio under your arm and what would you consider a a selling portfolio to look like? Is it acceptable for an artist to ask if you could visit their studio or is that a no-no? What do you think about viewing a portfolio on an iPad, iPhone, or a flash drive? So... This this first question strikes at the heart of um, several things. Uh, first, it's obviously the subject of uh, an entire book that I've written, and I'm not going to dive in and go into all the details of uh, my book, Starving to Successful. Um, but I, I think that there are some points here that, that are worth bearing out in, and some points that... Um, point to changes that have occurred in approaching galleries, even in the few years that it's been since I wrote my book. Um, And so first of all, to this question of how do I approach galleries? What's what's the right way? And and what I think you'll find is that um, the, the right way is the way that works for you to get you out the door and get you talking to galleries and to get your portfolio in front of them. In my book, I am an advocate and talk about kind of the process of making what I would call a cold call approach. And that is going out and physically visiting galleries, um, you know, just opening your mouth and introducing yourself, starting a conversation and presenting uh, your portfolio. And um, I, I, 
give that advice in the book from years and years of experience that I have had in working with artists, seeing how they approach me for representation. Um, I've also surveyed artists that I work with and on the blog, kind of looking for what's the most effective approach. And, you know, we're in a, a, a real boutique industry in the sense that every gallery is going to be different. There are no uh, in uh, industry-wide standards um, or best practices. Um, sure, there are some things that uh, will tend to work better than others. Um, but um, at the end of the day, what I find is that a lot of times uh, it, it's the, this question itself, how do I do it, and, and kind of the uncertainty that comes along with it, that prevents a lot of artists from getting out there and, and uh, pounding the pavement, and putting their portfolio, and starting to get uh, reactions to their work and, and um, you know, moving, kind of creating the momentum that you need to move forward. And, and so what I would say is... Um, the best initial approach is whatever you feel might be most comfortable. And I, I have seen artists approach galleries via email, um, by setting appointments and going in and talking to the gallery owners, by not setting appointments. Um, and, and what you'll find is that, um, you know, approaching galleries certainly isn't going to be necessarily easy. Um, sometimes it's not going to be very much fun because you, you're certainly going to run into disinterest, rejection, uh, you, you know, and, and sometimes even uh, antagonism from, from gallery owners. Um, but what I would say is that if you've taken the steps to prepare your, your work and yourself to talk to galleries, it, it's, it's just that process of getting out the door and starting those conversations and, and making it happen. And, and so, um, again, I would, you know, if you're serious about, you, you feel like you've got a body of work together that you're seriously ready to begin approaching galleries with, uh, I'm going to humbly point you to my book as a, as a resource. I've done a lot of posts on the blog. There are other great uh, online resources out there, um, it, you know, to kind of point you in the right direction as far as the preparatory steps go. Um, and, and, um, and, and then you just want to get as, you know, as much confidence as you can and just get out the door. And, and the thing about approaching galleries is that each approach to a gallery, um, is both an opportunity, but also a learning experience. And you're going to gain wisdom by doing that. So uh, I would say, don't let the, the fear kind of get in the way. Now, the other question was, what do you think about viewing a portfolio on an iPad, iPhone, or flash drive? Flash drive, I'm going to say no, um, simply from the, the perspective um, that, that they are such a security hazard. And I think you'll find that a lot of gallery owners are going to be very reluctant uh, to put your flash drive into their computer. Um, and, and this applies whether you're there in person or if you're uh, mailing the flash drive in. I, I think you're going to find that it's, it's a no-go iPhones, iPads, tablets, um, whatever your device is, I'm seeing more and more of, of uh, this used as, as a way to present portfolios. Um, and, and in fact, I, I am a convert to creating digital portfolios and um, showing your work that way. Um, you, you know, we are certainly moving into a digital and device age and the tablet and, and phone give you so much flexibility in terms of being able to update that I think it's going to be pretty rare for us to see, you know, 
physical uh, page turning hard copy portfolios pretty soon. I think they're going to all be digital. And, and of course, the advantage there is, um, depending on how you set it up, not only can you show your imagery on the device as you're presenting it in a gallery, but then you could email a digital copy of that portfolio to the gallery as follow-up or, or even as an initial contact. Um, so, so definitely, um, and you know, there are going to be a lot of different approaches to creating the portfolio to be able to do that. But, but yes, absolutely, digital portfolios are without a doubt the the next step in in portfolio creation. Uh, now, Catherine goes on um, and and with another question says the most difficult situation I'm having is that it takes me a long time to do a painting of any kind of piece that I'm working on. How current and important should the completion date of the piece be? Uh, based on previous discussions of whether you should date your art pieces, I stopped dating them on the front of the piece. So, you know, that kind of, in my mind, answers the, you, you kind of have the, the answer to your question right in the question itself. And that is if you're not dating it, the date is not important in and of itself. The, the age of the artwork isn't going to be that important when you're showing it to galleries or potential collectors as long as the style and quality is consistent across your work. Um, and, and if that's the case, then age doesn't matter. Uh, and then the, the last question is, how should one price their work? Wrapped canvases versus unwrapped and framed? Should it be based upon medium, size, time, and materials? Um, and locally, I've seen many prices, many uh, pieces overpriced, some underpriced, so I'm stumped as to how to price my work. Of course, it depends on whether I'm selling it directly to someone from my studio or whether I'm selling it through a gallery. Um, so th that is a whole can of worms again, um, just a, a very broad issue. But, but what I can point you to is that the artists that I work with in my gallery, by and large, um, in, and I'm primarily speaking of two-dimensional artists here, although there are some sculptors who, who take a, a somewhat similar approach, but by and large, they are pricing their paintings and photographs primarily by size. Um, and, and the reason that they're doing that, um, you know, it's, it's not that we're trying to... Um, homogenize or industrialize the the art market but rather that it just simplifies things that make sense to collectors it's something that they can easily grasp um, you know and sometimes for some artists there are going to be other factors that come into play the complexity of a piece the number of figures in a painting for example but but generally speaking when it comes to pricing you want to work to systematize your pricing and you want to work to put your systematic pricing in the mid-range of the market that you're targeting. Um, and so if, if your goal is to work with galleries in urban areas or galleries in um, you know, high-end art markets, uh, my, my short suggestion is to do some real market analysis of how other artists that you're gonna be competing against um, and artists, uh, hopefully you can find some who are doing work that is in a somewhat similar genre and style to your work. Deconstruct how they're pricing their work. Um, you know, 
figure out what the rough formula is and then take that and look at what that would do to your work and, and try to aim for the, the midpoint among the various artists that you're looking at. Uh, again, there's a lot more that could be said there, but, but the goal with pricing is that you want to be systematic and you want to fit into your marketplace. You don't want to be the highest priced artist in that market, nor do you want to be the lowest priced artist in that market. Next question, um, and this one comes from uh, Pam, uh, and, and this is a question about online and email scams. Uh, Pam says, there are a lot of fake buyer emails that you have to negotiate. She says, I can look up ISP addresses from my website to pinpoint where they're from. The latest scam emails came right after someone from Nigeria accessed my site. And Pam says, I guess all the jokes are true. However, I have had others that just didn't seem to pass the gut or smell test. Do you as a gallery have this problem? And I've actually um, written a blog post about this in the past, and it's a pretty widespread issue. There are a lot of other artists, um, galleries uh, that, that have, have posted about this. And yet um, online and, and email scams tend to be uh, still pretty widespread. I, I get... Um, inquiries from artists and questions from artists quite frequently saying, you know, here's the situation. I received an email from someone. It doesn't feel quite right. Do you think this is legitimate? Um, and unfortunately, the answer is almost always no, this doesn't seem legitimate. Um, you know, in, in most cases, it does end up being a scam. And um, I can only assume that these scammers, these online scammers, are having some success in targeting artists uh, to, to generate uh, revenue for themselves because otherwise the scam would die out. And, and that is very unfortunate, um, you know, uh, preying on the desire of an artist to sell some artwork. And, you know, of course, often it's the case that the artist is is in a position where they can least afford to, to run into that kind of, of scam. Um, and, and so I would, would encourage you to be very thoughtful and careful about any emails that you receive, uh, you know, kind of unsolicited emails um, expressing interest in artwork. And of course here, it, and, and this is why the scammers are successful is because of course, those are exactly the kind of emails you want to be receiving. That's the reason you have a website and the reason you include contact information on your website um, so that a, a sincere buyer can, can see your work, reach out and contact you and, and make a purchase. What you'll find um, and, and what I've seen in most cases is that there are some factors that you can look for, some, some elements of a scam email that you'll see most of the time that will clue you into the fact that this is a scam. And, and I reached back out to Pam and asked if she could send one of the most recent uh, emails. Um, and, and she sent it on to me. And, and so I'm just going to read a couple of lines. Uh, I won't read the whole thing, but I'm going to read a couple of lines to you. And, and I would guess that many of you who are listening have seen emails similar to this. So it starts out, good day to you, period. Well, right there, I've, I've got a pretty good hint that um, this probably is, is not uh, a legitimate because how many emails do you get 
um, that, that start out with good day to you. It, it's not uh, really common English usage, um, and, and certainly in email is pretty uncommon. And, and that's what you're going to see across the body of the email is that it's pretty clear that either this is not a... Um, uh, at least a native American English speaker. Um, and, and uh, you know, there are going to kind of be other clues that, that this just wouldn't be the syntax and grammar that a, a um, potential prospective buyer would use. So uh, the email goes on. I am so excited that I came across your work on Internet search. I am interested in purchasing these creative artworks from you. Okay, so I've got a couple of, of funky grammar issues going on there. The spelling's all pretty good, but that's because, of course, everybody has spell check going. Um, but I am so excited that I came across of your work on internet search. Okay, that, that, that obviously, like I say, not a, not a native English speaker um, and, and j just real issues there. And again, I have to be careful because... Um, certainly there are international art buyers out there and, and you could potentially run into someone who isn't a perfect uh, English speaker or writer. Um, but the email goes on. There's a list of several different pieces that, that uh, this, this client is potentially interested in. Let, and then uh, the, the writer says, let me know their various price and how much discounts are you going to give? Okay, you know, again, just kind of, so, okay, so in my list of things I look for, if, if the grammar and, and construction of the email is bad, um, I, I'm going to be, you, you know, my threat level goes up substantially. And, and then the writer goes on to say, we are traveling from our Seattle home to our new apartment as soon as possible. On paying for the artworks, I will be glad to pay you with a money order or cashier's check and U.S. funds that can be easily... Okay, so this is point number two. If there's a lot of narrative and story, uh, and, and, you know, kind of de extraneous details, that, that's another huge red flag. Um, I have dealt with a lot of online purchases with my clients not a, in a legitimate sale, not, not a single one of them feels ne it necessary to tell me the story of their current life or travel activities or movement. Um, it, it's just not something that you would do. So, so already right here, I've got two big, big red flags, um, the construction uh, of the email and, um, and this, this tendency towards narrative. And now here's the, the kicker that tells you for sure this is a scam. Uh, the writer says, on paying for the artworks, I will be glad to pay you with the money order. I already read that. Uh, at your local bank, please let me know how to proceed. Um, and then as well, I want you to take out the shipping costs. I have been in touch with a shipping firm that will be shipping other house decoratives. That's, that's the kicker right there. That's the alarm bells because uh, in my understanding of how most of these art purchase scams work and where the, um, the, the scammer tries to make their money is through this, this mechanism of the shipping. And what they'll do is they will send you a uh, counterfeit check um, and, and it'll be for an amount that is greater than the purchase price of, of the artwork that they're looking at on your website. 
And then they'll say to you, now if you could please remit from that that cashier's check, if you could please remit, um, you know, X number of dollars, three, four, five hundred dollars, or, or whatever, um, to this shipping company, um, I'll arrange for them to come and pick up the artwork. And then they give you the address to a, an online address to a shipping company, and and they'll have a the kind of the billing information set up there. Um, and you can put the, you can either enter your credit card to pay the, the quote unquote shipping bill, um, or sometimes they'll, they'll ask you to send a check or money order to an address where you can pay for the shipping. Uh, and then you'll do that. And lo and behold, a couple days later, your bank comes back to you and says, hey, you know that check you deposited? Well, it's, it's no good. There's no account. Um, you know, we're going to have to take that money out of out of your account and you're now out the shipping costs. Now, there may be other uh, variations of, of how these work, um, other approaches. And, and I'd be curious, I'd love to hear in the comments um, if you've seen other other approaches, if you've actually um, uh, known someone who has uh, been caught up in one of these scams and has lost money. I'd love to hear about that and kind of how it worked. Um, but, but in essence, what I would advise you to do is just approach any situation where someone's contacted you online with extreme caution. And our approach is to say, great, we're glad you're interested in the artwork uh, for online sales. This is how we do it. We always, always, always ask for credit card payment. Um, and we require a telephone conversation with the buyer to arrange the details of payment and shipping. Um, and we just let them know that that's our standard procedure. And scammers, when they get the email back where you tell them, outline the procedure that you don't accept checks, you don't accept um, money orders, and you require a phone conversation, uh, you'll never hear from them again. Um, you know, just kind of shut them down. So I would advise you to, to take that approach. And, you know, again, uh, I, I want to be careful because I don't want you to think that no inquiry online can ever be legitimate. Um, but if you look for those red flags and you have the system in place that you know how you're going to uh, accept uh, payment and let them know that, uh, you'll almost always, uh, I would hope, always uh, weed out the scammers from the legitimate buyers. Next question um, and this comes from an artist in the Northeast. Uh, and the question is, uh, or, or the, the uh, writer says, I think it'd be of interest as to how a gallery promotes cells and how they educate their staff regarding gallery artists. Um, and I emailed back and said, um, seems like a, an interesting conversation. What leads you to ask this question? Uh, and the artist went on to say, in my obser uh, observations, some galleries have their staff truly up to speed on the artists and his or her work. They will have discussions a couple of times per season regarding their artists. All staff will be aware of the artist's online presence and what new work is produced. Checking with the artist via email, phone, and text is a reassuring method for the artist and the galleries involved and supportive. On the contrary, some galleries are a little lax in this area and just speak of the work at hand in their gallery uh, and not much in depth of the artists themselves. I found buyers like to know about the artists beyond just the work. 
And I, uh, I would completely agree with kind of the sentiment behind this. Um, and, and certainly our goal at Xanadu Gallery is that all of us, myself and my staff, uh, not only do we want to uh, have a, an academic understanding of, uh, you know, the, the basic details of our artists' biographies and, and artist statements, um, but, but we want to feel like we have a relationship with that artist, that we know them well, um, you know, that we can provide in-depth information about the artist and the artist's work to potential buyers. And so, um, at least in our gallery, I, we don't have necessarily a formal talk uh, a couple times per season regarding the artist as, as, um, as the writer suggested. Rather, we spend a lot of time with our artists. Um, uh, be that, uh, you know, we'll have receptions for the artist, and I always try to schedule a, uh, a dinner with the artist and my staff where, you know, they can get to know one another. I can get to know the artist. We have... Um, you know, talk back and forth. And um, my staff becomes very comfortable communicating with the artist or the artist's studio, you know, calling to ask questions, emailing, and, and doing exactly what the writer here suggested, getting to know their inventory, what's new, um, because this is exactly right. Uh, you as a salesperson are going to be in a far better position when a potential buyer expresses interest in an artist's work to make a sale if you are knowledgeable and involved with the artist and, and have a personal relationship with them. You're going to be more excited about that work and that enthusiasm and energy is, is going to show through. So, um, you know, I have a bit of advantage, an advantage in that my sales staff um, has been with me for some time. Um, and knows the business very well. And, and you know, those kinds of relationships uh, can really only be built over the course of time. But even, even as I hire someone new, um, you know, there's, there's certainly an education process there. And, and that's one of the, a, a new hire's primary tasks is to get to know each and every one of the artists in the gallery so that they can have those those deeper conversations. And, um, you know, as far as, uh, you know, what a gallery can do to encourage that, um, I find that in, in most cases, uh, at least in my travels to galleries, that the staff at least um, tries to, to, to have that kind of knowledge. And I suppose, um, you know, the scenario where that would be the case might be a gallery where uh, there's a high level of staff turnover for some reason, or, um, or or perhaps the ownership of the gallery looks at the staff more as clerks than salespeople, and so doesn't invest the time or effort or uh, you know or money into to making that kind of education happen. And so, um, uh, you know, these are kind of some of the things you want to think about and look for as you're considering working with a gallery. Um, it, it, does the staff seem engaged and um, put forth effort and uh, seem knowledgeable about the artists whose work they're showing? Um, and, and every every gallery is going to be a little bit a little bit different. And, and that actually points to uh, the next couple of questions that I received. Um, and I'm going to kind of put these together. Uh, th this first one, um, 
uh, is actually another artist in the uh, the Northeast. And, and I'll tell you, uh, when I sent out my email asking for questions, uh, I asked, do you want me to use your name? And if so, tell me where your studio's from. And for obvious reasons, sometimes you might not want your name used. And this is going to be a, a good example. Uh, the artist says, I'm an associate member of a co-op gallery. Although most processes in this gallery are fine, these two things seem unfair. Number one, this gallery does not take credit cards. Instead, it boasts that it offers layaway. But the layaway burden falls heaviest on the artist who is getting 65% of the sale, but in dribs and drabs. There's nothing like getting a check for $13 every month to kill the joy of the sale. And number two, there are quite a few favorites in this gallery, people who have become friends of the owner over the 20 years this gallery has been in business. Their work is always front and center, and most of it has not sold in the four years I've been a member. It is also true that these favorites do not have to abide by the rules. Okay, so there are a couple things here that I would, 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 would jump to. First, um, I, I, I was dumbfounded and, and remain dumbfounded about the first issue that the, the gallery doesn't accept credit cards. Um, I understand that credit cards charge a, a fee on every transaction and it can feel onerous uh, to have that fee there. It's you know uh, somewhere between two and three percent of the sale. Um, the gallery is going to be paying that fee, and so it cuts into their bottom line. But in this day and age, to not offer your clients credit card uh, payments seems insane to me. Uh, I, I mean, it's just standard procedure for every business that you can think of. And, and in fact, you know, in the last five years... Uh, there have been a, a number of, of solutions that have come along that make it easier than ever to accept credit cards. So, um, you know, Square, uh, the Square Reader, which you use with a, a smartphone or, or a tablet, um, PayPal, QuickBooks offer services. There are just a, a, a number of services that mean you don't have to have a merchant account anymore. You don't have to pay a monthly fee. Um, yes, there's, there's going to always be that uh, percentage that comes out to process the credit card. But goodness, that's, that is a small price to pay for the convenience that you are giving your clients. And, and if you think about that credit card fee, uh, you're losing way more than that. Each and every time a client says, you don't take credit cards, well, I'm not going to buy this piece then. You, you, you're, you're just cutting out a huge percentage of your potential business. And it seems like this gallery thinks that people are using their credit cards so that they don't have to uh, pay for the artwork right away, that they're financing it on the credit card and paying it back over time. Hence, the gallery, by offering a layaway program, uh, removes that, uh, that, that challenge and, uh, and now the client can just pay the gallery over time instead of paying the credit card. Well, in my experience, that's not at all the issue for buyers. Um, you know, I, I would suspect that most of my buyers in the gallery are paying their credit card balance off every month. It's just a convenience issue. And it is also a, a, an issue of getting uh, points towards miles, travel miles, or, or those kinds of uh, reward bonuses. Um, that, that credit cards offer. And, and 
they're just nobody even care. I mean, it's rare that we ever see a check anymore. Um, you know, on, on rare occasion, we might get a cash purchase, but 98% or maybe even more of all of our purchases are, are uh, with credit cards. And so, um, uh, again, it's just insane. Um, to the second question that there are some favorites in the gallery, they get the most attention. What it seems like to me, the answer here is that um, you're not in the right gallery. Um, and, and I would, would be very hesitant, uh, and I think that, that a lot of artists feel this way. Um, you, you kind of feel like you're at a disadvantage, that it's very hard to get into galleries, and that uh, you know if someone agrees to represent you, no matter what the circumstances are, you should just be grateful that you have that representation. And um, you know, certainly as you're getting started and establishing your business, and and um, uh, you know maybe sometimes even even a little later in your career as you're reaching into a new market. Uh, you're going to be more willing to accept representation under whatever circumstances that it comes. Uh, I would, would, would tell you, though, that you can very easily spin your wheels for a long time and waste a lot of effort with a gallery that's not generating sales for you, that, that's not uh, promoting your work the way it should be, especially in a co-op situation where, um, uh, you know, the, the gallery, it sounds like, is not reliant upon sales to, to keep their business going. Uh, you can just stagnate there. And so um, my suggestion would be, yes, you could go talk to the owners. You could, could encourage them to, to get uh, credit card capability. You could ask them for, for better placement of your artwork. You could try to build relationships with them. But to what end? Um, as you mentioned, some of these artists have been showing for 20 years and they haven't sold their work. You know, um, yeah, exposure is great, but I would remind you that you can die of exposure. And uh, th this is certainly one of those cases where it's just, just not worth it. Your, your efforts are going to be far better spent trying to find a gallery that's more proactive and, and doing a better job of, of representing their artists. Now, I had another question uh, along these same lines that says, my gallery is on social media, such as Facebook. The last time they posted anything on Facebook about my work was five months ago. This leads me to believe the other outlets are about the same. How do I request more exposure, especially when this doesn't cost anything? And so I followed up and asked, you know, how many posts are they doing? Are they fairly active on Facebook? And the artist wrote back and said, yes, they've got, um, you know, uh, almost 5,000 followers um, and another 5,000 people who like the page. They post a few times a day. Uh, most uh, Some are upcoming shows. Um, but uh, the, the artist says, if it were my business, I would have a schedule that rotates constantly through the various artists' work. Um, and, and so... I would would say step one would be to just simply ask, request, uh, you know, hey, what, what's your process for selecting artists who you're featuring on your Facebook page? Um, and they may say, well, we, we post new work or we post images for artists who are selling well. Um, you know, they'll give you kind of the outline and that then at least you understand what the approach is and, and you can, can try and conform to that. Oh, well, if I sent you some, some new work, then I might expect to get, get a post. 
Um, or you might go a step further and say, you know, I would love to have some work featured in your Facebook posts. Um, you know, can I send you some images? What, what do we need to do? And what you'll find is that sometimes galleries have great intentions. Uh, it's just that their execution can uh, leave uh, leave things to be desired. And so um, sometimes just asking will, will, will get you there. And, and then ask again in a, in a few days or weeks or months or, or whatever time frame you're thinking of. Um, I would suspect, um, at least in our case, um, we when we started out with social media, it was very hit and missed as far as um, being systematic. And I think what you're going to find with a lot of galleries is that that's a ca the case with everything that they do. It's, it's kind of by the seat of our pants, our collective pants, that uh, that kind of marketing and promotion is done. Now, over time, we have come up with an approach and, and a system of selecting which artists we're going to share and when, how frequently we're going to be sharing uh, artwork on social media, uh, how we're going to um, spend money to boost those promotions. Um, and, and you know, hopefully as a gallery starts to experience some success, you would see more, um, more effort put into making that systematic and, and uh, getting better at uh, spreading the love of social media around their various artists. So I think, though, with all three of these questions, it, it does come down to um, a little bit of understanding the dynamics of the relationship between a, a gallery and an artist. Um, and, and I look at, our, at the relationship as a, a, a partnership. Um, you, you know, we're really, both of us are benefiting by working together. We, we both um, can certainly have input. I try to listen to my artists and their suggestions. Um, but at the end of the day, I also realize that there are boundaries in this relationship where um, suggestions can, can go back and forth, but ultimately someone has to, to make the decisions. And so when it comes to uh, training my staff or, uh, you know, figuring out the display of the gallery where the artwork is going to be placed, um, show scheduling, those kinds of things. I'll take input from my artists, but ultimately I have to make the decisions that I feel are best for my business. And the reverse is true that I can uh, make requests and give suggestions to the artists that I'm working with in terms of maybe the subject matter and style of the work that they're producing, what we'd like to see more or less of, the, those kinds of things. But ultimately, they have to make the decision about what they want to be working on and what kind of work they're going to be producing and their scheduling and those kinds of things. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, if, if a gallery isn't working or doing things the way that you'd like to see them do them, um, and you've made some suggestions and they don't seem to be responsive to that, you have to make a decision, yeah, and you have to say, are these issues large enough and important enough to me that I should consider terminating our partnership and try and go find another gallery that I, can, I think can, can do this a little bit better? Um, or am I willing to uh, put up with these, these irritations and pet peeves of mine 
because the gallery is selling enough that it, that it makes it worthwhile. And, um, you know, you can drive yourself crazy wishing that, uh, that things were a little bit different. Um, and and uh, at the end of the day, again, just kind of understanding those boundaries and, and how they work, um, I, I think will make your relationship a lot smoother. And again, uh, this is something that with experience, you'll better understand uh, where those boundaries are. And, and um, you know, you want to be careful not to step on toes while at the same time not being a, a, a pushover about the relationship. Uh, a couple more quick questions. I got another pricing question. This one's a little more specific. Uh, this one comes from Amy McCormick, who uh, recently re- re- relocated uh, to Denver from Chicago. And Amy says, I just painted a diptych. If I were pricing the canvases separately, I might price at a higher price than I do as a pair. Is that right? Each painting can actually stand on its own. But what happens if someone offers to buy one versus the pair? I just want to confirm my instinct, which is to price them as if they were one piece and not allow them to be separated. Would I still apply the same price per inch or are there any adjustments I should make? Um, So this goes back to my suggestion earlier of doing pricing research and coming up with a systematic approach to your pricing. Um, What I would add to, to what I said earlier though was that in your systematic approach to pricing, uh, you can certainly, and, and many of the artists that I work with do have a kind of graduated pricing approach. And by that, I mean that their smallest works may be at a higher per square inch price than their larger works. And as, as the work gets larger and larger, that uh, per square inch price might come down. And they might have kind of a, uh, you know, just kind of steady progression, or they might have um, certain size breakpoints where the per square inch price changes as you get larger and larger. And so um, in looking at Amy's work then with a diptych, um, it may just be that by having two canvases together, and yes, you're right, Amy, that I would look at it as one piece, um, that the total square inches that you're looking at are now going to be enough that it does put it into a different price bracket than you would have with just a single one of those canvases. Um, and, and thus, the, the uh, per square inch price overall comes down a little bit on, on that piece. Um, you can certainly let your galleries know, or if you're showing the work yourself at an art festival or open studio or something like that, you can certainly let buyers know that the piece is a diptych. It only, you know, you put one tag on it, one price, you don't mention the per panel price, um, and, and you just let them know that it sells together. And in, in most cases, if you know, if there's a strong aesthetic reason why those pieces make sense together, the image continues from one to the other, or they're integral to one another, uh, you probably won't get any questions about it. If it doesn't, um, you know, if the pieces really are independent of one another, and you just felt like putting them together and making it a diptych because, hey, I, I woke up with diptych on my mind today, um, then you might get some requests from buyers to to break it up. And what I find is that uh, initially, if you you know you thought of it as a diptych um, and you you put it up in a gallery or started showing it, and people just weren't responding to it, um, 
either because of the price tag is now um, going to be higher because it's two pieces instead of one, or because maybe other people don't have the same vision you do of the, the piece as being one uh, cohesive unit, um, then perhaps the artist and, and the galleries are going to become more open to the idea of breaking that piece up. Um, and, and again, certainly I have run into situations where a client has come to me and said, you know, I like these pieces, but I really only have space for the one on the right, uh, or I only have budget for the one on the right. And at that point, I'll go back to the artist and say, you know, are you still firm in the idea that you want this to sell as a diptych? And if the artist says, yes, um, you know, I don't want to break those pieces up. And that's kind of the end of that discussion. Like I say, though, I, I find that my artists become more flexible over those kind of questions as time goes on. And I'm going to try and squeeze one more question in uh, kind of at the end of, of my scheduled time for the, the podcast. But this question comes from uh, Rose, who's actually an artist in the UK. Um, and I'll just summarize a little bit. Uh, Rose says, I've exhibited in a range of galleries. Each was a very different experience. It's sometimes difficult to know what to expect. Uh, partly, I feel it has to do with the level of professionalism and maybe the status of the gal gallery. Also, probably how they're dealing with current economic climate. Um, I've sent out exploratory emails to many galleries and always do my research first and keep it brief and professional, though friendly. Recently, I've decided to look into hiring a uh, reputable arts PR company to approach galleries on my behalf. My question is, does this approach appeal to gallery owners? Does it come across as more professional or easier to deal with, etc.? cetera? Um, and so this, this is an, an interesting question, and I hear other forms of this question with some frequency. Um, and I don't know if, if maybe in, in the UK, uh, the idea of having a PR firm, an arts PR firm, is, is more common. I don't hear of that so much here in the States. Um, but what I do hear is artists asking the question, does it make sense to have an agent, uh, someone who will go out and kind of do the legwork for me, building relationships with galleries and, and handling the business side of things? And what I think you're going to find, um, uh, certainly um, I, I would expect if you're working with a PR agency, um, what you're going to find is that the cost of, of that relationship with the PR firm might be a, a little bit difficult to handle or, or even prohibitive. Um, and, and I would think that with a PR firm especially, they're going to want some kind of retainer um, and, and ongoing fees to represent you. Um, and, and, you know, hopefully then they would, would be putting those fees to good use and really doing some good work and getting you out there and, and in front of galleries. Um, but it kind of depends on what, what your resources are. And I suspect that a lot of artists uh, would find it difficult to make that upfront capital investment in hiring someone like a PR firm to do that work for you. Um, when the potential benefit of that, the sales and representation may be down the road a little bit, you may not see a return on that investment for some time. The other challenge is that a lot of these PR firms 
um, uh, or advertising agencies are accustomed to working with pretty big budgets. And so to them, oh, it's no big deal. We're going to print you new cards and that's going to cost you $1,200. Or we're going to put together a postcard series and there will be $3,000. I guess in this case, it would be pounds instead of dollars. But but I, I would, would certainly want to have a sit down with a, a firm like that and, and get a real idea of what their approach is going to be. What's your strategy for representing me? What's your approach going to be? What's it going to cost, uh, both in terms of your fees and other expenses to implement your ideas and make sure that you are very comfortable with making that kind of investment? And, um, you know, certainly um, there are uh, artists out there who have firms like this working for them and they're spending a lot of money with them, but they can afford to do that because the sales are already occurring for them. Maybe they're already well established. And so it's kind of a reinvestment of, of their funds into the business to help it grow. And that's a, a different scenario than trying to get your, your art business off the ground and having to make that upfront investment. So I'd be very careful um, and just make sure you're going into that with, with both eyes wide open. Um, for artists um, who are talking about artist agents, um, it's a little bit different because in most cases, rather than ask a retainer or an upfront fee, artist agents are going to take a percentage of sales. Um, so they'll get you into galleries, and as the, the sales start to occur, they'll take a, a percentage. It could be anywhere from 10, 15, 20% of, of the uh, total sales made. Um, and the, the, the challenge here is that most of you are going to find that unless you're very well established, um, an, an artist agent isn't going to be willing to take the risk of investing their time and energy in your work if there isn't a strong track record of sales in place so that they know they have a good chance of profiting from um, from that representation. Um, and, and so in most cases, agents want to work with, with artists who are already selling very well and showing in a lot of galleries that they can then expand. That's kind of the same same situation as with the, the PR agencies. They want, they, they want a sure bet. Um, and, and so what you'll find is that uh, as an artist, it might actually be harder for you to get good uh, representation from an artist's agent than it is for you to just get representation from a gallery. And so why not put the effort uh, and your time and energy into working with galleries and getting representation that way? Uh, then you don't have to pay the, uh, the, the commission to the agent. Uh, and also um, you're, you'll begin establishing that track record of sales. And maybe at some point down the road after you've uh, uh, become more successful, then the agents will approach you and, and you can reevaluate at that point. From a gallery owner standpoint, um, I have worked with artists, agents in the past, and I've had mixed experiences with them. Um, some of them are spread so thin with so many artists that they're working with that um, they can be slow to respond to communications um, and, and um and, and it kind of adds a layer of insulation between me and the artist, which can prevent the relationship that I talked about earlier. And so um, I, I'm not saying I won't work with artists, agents, or that I don't want to. Um, but what I would say is that uh, 
in my experience and as I've worked with artists, my preference is to work directly with the artist and, and build the relationship there. Um, and, and I found that uh, it makes me more effective uh, as a gallery owner, my staff more effective in selling the work that we have that uh, direct relationship. So I have many other questions. And as I mentioned, I knew I wasn't going to be able to, to get to the, all, all of them. But in the interest of, of uh, keeping the podcast in a reasonable time frame, I'm going to hold over some of the questions to my next Ask Me Anything session. That's what we'll call these. Um, and, and like I say, I will uh, plan on reaching out to uh, others of you on the list to get additional questions. Um, but I'd love to hear from you and know what, uh, what your concerns and, and challenges and questions are about the business. Um, and, and so I'll look forward to, to holding these sessions again with, with regularity on the podcast, kind of putting them into the mix of the different formats that, uh, that we're doing. I do want to remind you that our mentorship program is now open for applications. And for those of you who haven't participated in the mentorship program before, uh, it's one of the coolest programs that we produce at uh, Xanadu Gallery. Uh, and just briefly, uh, the way it works is that I select an artist each year to work with one-on-one -on -one, um, and, and the program itself runs over the course of about eight months. And together, we examine the artist's work for consistency, quality, marketability, and we look over the artist's studio and business practices. We create optimized portfolios, biographies, and artist statements. And then we prepare the artist to approach and work with galleries. And then in addition to that, um, and, and importantly, we also uh, take the selected artist and begin showing their work in Xanadu Gallery. So we get to explore how the clients are reacting to the work and begin to generate some sales and then see how the artist-gallery relationship works. And the best part about the mentorship program is that everyone who applies for the mentorship also gets to sit in on the bi-weekly broadcasts where we're doing all this work. And so um, you kind of get to learn all together and ask questions. And uh, my hope and my experience, this is our fifth year of the mentorship, is that by participating in the program, uh, everyone who participates gets to gain an inside knowledge of what it takes uh, to be a successful artist. And, and so it's a uh, kind of a win-win scenario for everyone who applies and participates. Applications are open now, and they're going to remain open through July 7th of 2017. Uh, however, the registration is limited, so I'd encourage you to apply now. You can learn more about the mentorship program and register and apply by going to www.red.blog.com slash mentorship. Um, again, that's www.red.blog.com. And so spell out red.blog. It's R-E-D-D-O-T blog.com forward slash mentorship and then you can read about how the program works and how to apply and I'll look forward to seeing all of your applications there. Thank you for joining me for this podcast. Uh, it's been fun hearing your questions and uh, talking a little bit more about the art business. Stay tuned for future broadcasts. I'll look forward to seeing you in the next one. <laughs>